Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from a recent message given by our pastor, Dennis Fountain. We hope this sermon will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. Well, James, the book of James, uh, I've been kind of on a uh, loving the book of James, um, I don't know, drive lately. I just, I've been enjoying it, and I did, of course, I've said it before, but on Sun or on um, my personal Bible study time over the course of the last uh, few months, I've been doing a book a month and just spending time in, in that book through the entire day. And uh, so I did uh, Colossians, and then I uh, did First Peter, and then in the month of March, I did the book of James. And um, the passage we're going to look at tonight is really a passage that God put on my heart um, as we look towards Easter. Now, here's the interesting thought. The passage before us tonight really has nothing to do with the resurrection story, but it has a lot to do with our approach towards God and, our, and approaching God in a correct way. And you say, why, why would we look at that? Giving you just some thoughts tonight before we get into it is, I, I believe that every single one of us, we want to see God do something great in our church. Uh, those of us that are uh, really the Thursday night group and people that are even with us online that pay attention to a Thursday night service, usually of a church, your, your Sunday night crowd and mid, midweek crowd are the people that are kind of, you know, just, we want to see this thing move forward. And we want to really, not that the Sunday morning doesn't, but it's just kind of the folks that, hey, I'm going to make extra time as much as I can to, to be involved. And you know what? Um, I know that everyone here would have the heart of we want our church to move forward. I think about our building, the building fund. I think everybody here is praying for God to do something miraculous with that. But what I'm going to look at tonight is our approach toward God for those things. Our approach matters. How we approach God matters. I don't know if you're like me, but if you are, then there are times in your life when, uh, <clears throat> when maybe you go through and you're trying to make healthy choices. Anybody have that in your life? You go through and you're trying to make healthy choices and uh, perhaps trying to eat a little bit better or maybe trying to get some exercise or take care of yourself physically. And as you're doing that, some of you are shaking your head no, some of you are shaking your head yes, yeah, some of you are hitting spouses. As you're going through that, trying to make healthy choices, it always goes well until you come face-to-face with that special dessert or with that special candy or that special drink or concoction that you like. You know, uh, it's the homemade chocolate peanut butter pie. It's the uh, homemade, really soft and delicious chocolate chip cookies or it's your favorite coffee drink with all the extras, or it's that certain kind of soda that you drink, or certain candy that, how many of you are hungry right now? I'm like, Pastor, lead it along. Yeah. You know what? When I'm eating healthy and when I'm trying to give attention to my health for a, a time, when I'm put face-to-face with that special treat in front of me, you know the excuse I make? I deserve it. Uh, you know, I've been doing really good. Man, I, I haven't eaten any sugar in 12 hours. 
man, I'm doing really good. And we have the attitude of, well, I deserve it. You know what's sad is that in our lives, probably more often than we would care to admit it, we have that type of attitude in a lot of areas. The attitude of, I deserve it. And unfortunately for a lot of Christians, we have that attitude when it comes to our relationship with God and our approach to God. Our approach sometimes can be of, God, here's what I want you to do because I deserve it. God, here's the prayer request I bring. And God, I haven't been that bad. I deserve it. And if we're honest, if we're honest with each other and honest with ourselves tonight, it probably happens more often than we would want to admit. And so tonight, as we look forward to Easter, I want to talk with us about how we approach God. Because sometimes we can pray and seek God for all of the right things, but we do it in the wrong way. I'll ask you this question and then we'll get our passage tonight. Do you believe, and you can answer it out loud if you want or or just think about it. Do you think God wants to see people saved this Sunday? Yeah. Do you think God wants his church to be filled Sunday and churches Bridgepoint and Moses Lake Baptist? Yeah. Do we think God wants believers who haven't been uh, maybe attending a service? Do we think God wants them to to come back and be encouraged and experience that? Yes. Do we think God wants orphaned believers, people who have been out of church for years, to maybe pick Moses Lake Baptist and come in this Sunday and be encouraged and challenged and, and find a church home? Yes. We would answer yes to those questions and many more that I could ask. I mean, let's take it further. Do you think God uh, wants us to get a new building? I, I believe so with all my heart. Do you think God wants a new lighthouse, uh, that, that property to see a building be built and filled and parking spots, I mean, a parking lot. I know that's in God's will. Uh, you know what? When you look at it, we could look at all of those things. We could say, these are the right things, but if we're not careful, We can pray for the right things with the wrong approach. Our approach can be, God, do this because I deserve it. And tonight I want to look in James chapter number four, and we'll get the context of everything. But then I want us to get the application at the end that we'll come down to is understanding that our approach to God matters. And so we're going to learn the difference between approaching God with the proud, I deserve it attitude are approaching God with a humble attitude that I believe that he blesses. James chapter four tonight, we're gonna begin in verse number one and read down through verse number 10. James writes this, from whence come wars and fightings among, among you? Come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members? Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not. Because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But... He giveth more grace, 
Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. I love this uh, passage. I really, uh, there's so much we could do here. There's a lot, really, there's about three or four messages right here in these 10 verses. But I really just want us to catch the overview tonight of pride versus humility and how it affects our approach to the Lord. And so let's pray and let's ask God to help our time tonight, and then we'll get our study. Lord, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for our time uh, able to come into it tonight. And Lord, I just want to come before you And God, I want to ask you that you'd speak through me. I want to humble my heart before you tonight, recognizing, Lord, that I have nothing to offer except for what you speak through me. And so I pray that you would just use your word. I pray that you'd use my mouth tonight as a vessel. And Lord, I pray that I would speak exactly what you want me to say. And then, Lord, I just want to to thank you already for our time in singing tonight, just drawing attention to the cross and to the victory that we have because of you. And Lord, I know we're celebrating the Resurrection Sunday, but I'm thankful that we can live it out each and every day, that you are a risen Savior that gives us hope and that gives us uh, forgiveness and restoration. And Lord, I want to pray that you would help us tonight uh, to once again just be drawn to you. I pray that your spirit would speak into us and that you would help us to receive what you have for us and then um, move forward as you uh, desire of us. And Lord, we love you. Thanks for loving us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Excuse me. If you've been <clears throat> on our uh, Strength for the Day in the mornings, we've, we just started James. Of course, we've done a few different things, but uh, the book of James was written by the half-brother of Jesus. James would have been uh, one of the early converts of the church. And of course, you say of the church, Yeah, James was one that didn't trust Christ until after the resurrection. Isn't that interesting? And I I I alluded to it Sunday uh, morning in the message, but isn't it interesting that the very people who grew up with Jesus didn't receive him as Messiah until after the resurrection? Um, It just goes to show, it reminds me of what Pastor Eric Sanders preached here back in, in, um, I think it was 2019. It just goes to show that doubt, doubt can plague anybody. And here's the people that grew up with Christ, and yet they still doubted that he was the Messiah. And so, you know, when there's doubts and things that come into your life, understand that others dealt with it too. Uh, but I'm thankful that God brings along the, the word of God to assure us of who he is and what he has. And uh, so here's James, the half-brother of Jesus Christ, that he gets saved after the resurrection. He then would become uh, the, early, the, the first pastor, I believe, of the church of Jerusalem. And God would use him in a great way. Of course, we know that he would later uh, suffer a, a martyr's death, and, and uh, <coughs> excuse me, that would take place. But in Acts, or excuse me, in the in James chapter one and verse number one, he declares who he is, what he's doing. But then he also says who he's writing to: to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. That greeting that he gives to them is because Acts chapter eight, verse number one, says that all of those believers were scattered because. Saul of Tarsus was wreaking havoc in the church. Remember that passage? It just talks, excuse me. 
Pentecostak. Uh, it just it talks about how, how Saul began to persecute those early believers, and because of that, many of them were losing their homes, and they were losing their income, and losing their jobs, and losing uh, some of them losing their own lives, and seeing family get thrown into jail, and a lot of persecution that they were facing. And so that when that hit the city of Jerusalem, that early church dispersed. And so James, he's the, he was the pastor of that church. Now, his heart, and I, I love uh, 2016, I preached uh, um, Thursday nights. We went through it just quickly. I think it was eight messages in the book of James. And man, I began to realize like, wow, what a pastor's heart he had for these people. Like, can you imagine something happening uh, to Moses Lake Baptist Church and something happening to our city that where all of us moved and, and we weren't able to gather and weren't able to meet? Um, man, what a, what a heart hurting time that would be. I mean, we, we didn't have church just for a few weeks last year during the beginning of, of the, the COVID situation. And man, many of us after, after a week were like, this is nuts. We got to get back together. I can't take this. Well, that early church, they were facing this on a, on a heightened experience. I mean, it was something that we probably will never face. And so James, he writes to them with a passion just to help them and encourage them. There's a lot of things that he goes through and and speaks on, and we'll get that. I'm actually going to preach a a series on James next year, and we'll go through it in detail. But one of the reasons I bring all of that out tonight is to understand who he's writing to is dispersed believers who are facing great persecution. They're facing um, extreme situations that many other believers around the world are even facing right now that we won't ever face. And so as he writes to them, there, like I said, there's a lot that could be said, but we'll see more in the, in the future. But if we're putting ourselves in the, in the place of these believers who James is writing to, I think if we were going through that, we could easily begin to focus upon our struggles. You ever gone through a hard time and you begin to focus on you? You begin to focus on what you're feeling and what you're experiencing. And we could very easily focus upon ourselves. And it's because of this, of uh, that mindset that we could be focusing on ourselves. It's because of this that I believe that James wrote to them some of the words that we read. You see, because when we're going through something that's a great trial or a trying of our faith, and we're going through those things when we're a follower of God, sometimes we could approach God thinking, you know what, God's going to answer me because I'm going through a rough situation. And those early believers, they were going through a rough situation because they were people of God. They were saved. They were Christians. They, they knew God. They were accomplishing the work of God that God had called them to. And so couldn't it be easy if you're doing what you know you should be doing? Couldn't it be easy to go to the mindset of, well, God, since this persecution is happening, I'm doing what I should be doing, then I can know that, God, you're going to answer me because X, Y, and because I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, because the persecution isn't uh, uh, something that I've brought upon myself, then, God, I know that I deserve this. And James writes to them, and I believe, again, that this is something that he knew and perhaps that he was thinking about when he began to pen these words. Because he goes down this direction of understanding the difference between pride and humility. And he encourages the believers to seek the Lord with a humble spirit. 
I want us to notice, first of all, tonight, just a couple of thoughts. And if you, if you uh, have the handout, you can fill in the blanks if you want to as we go along. But the first thing I want us to look at tonight is understanding pride in our relationship. Pride in our relationship with the Lord and pride in really in any relationship, what does pride do? In understanding pride, we need to know that pride has been around uh, forever, <laughs> right? That's what caused uh, Satan to fall from heaven was pride. I will be like the most high. Really, and we've said this often, pride is probably at the root of every sin. It, there's really not a probably. It is. It's the root of every sin, wanting to please self over wanting to, to perhaps do what God wants us to do. But there was an old uh, Greek philosopher, of course, you probably know the name Aristotle, and he said this about pride. He said, the great Greek virtue is the refusal to tolerate any insult and readiness to strike back. Man, what a, what a philosophy to live by. I refuse to receive any insult, and I am always ready to get even. That sounds like an older sibling, doesn't it? Those of you that, have, those of you that are older siblings, it sounds like you. Uh, no, you know what? What a, what a philosophy to live with, and yet this is what he said. We, have, we need to know, and we know this tonight, that throughout history, pride is, has ruined lives, hasn't it? Man, pride has destroyed a lot of things, and for Pastor James and for these believers, it wasn't any different. Really, they had been hated, mistreated, tortured, and slain, all of these things because of pride. Not their pride, but the pride of others, the pride of others not wanting to receive, and the pride of others too proud to admit that Jesus was the Messiah, too uh, proud to submit to him as king, too proud to receive what they had been giving and teaching. But while pride would be evident in the enemies. I want you to notice what James writes to these believers because the wording that he uses among these believers is a personal wording directed at them. He's not saying, hey, pride has really affected all these other people and that's why we're going through this. No, he says pride affects your life. Notice some thoughts that he gives about pride. First of all, he says pride ends in disaster. Pride ends in disaster. No verse, notice verse number one, from whence cometh wars, come wars and fightings among you. Come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members. The word lust in this passage, it means your own desires and pleasures, a self-centeredness and a self-focus. James is saying, hey, because of pride, people go to war and it causes a great disaster. But also because of pride, it it causes friends to fight among friends. You see the wording, what he says? From whence come wars and fightings among you. Remember, he's writing to believers. Hey, you know, you know where fightings come from, where contention comes from? It comes from pride. That's what James is writing about and how true James is here. No doubt they understood uh, how pride could affect war on a political level and maybe on a religious level. They have seen it with the Pharisees and all of that, but now he's writing to them on a personal level. Hey, pride affects even your life. You know, when you look at wars in the world, it's definitely impossible to determine all of the destruction that has come through war, but statistically, they say that at least 108 million people have been killed in wars in the 20th century alone. Isn't that crazy? They say that 
uh, mathematicians and different people who've done the research, they estimate that the total number of people killed in wars throughout all of human history could range anywhere from 150 million people to 1 billion people. That's a lot of destroyed lives. You know what's caused a lot of that? Pride. The, the lust, the desire to have more. That's what usually causes a war. So pride can cause a, it ends in disaster. And we could look at that in warfare, but let's take about, think about this personally tonight. Think about how many of these things have been affected by pride. How many marriages have been affected by pride? How many homes destroyed by pride? How many businesses destroyed by pride? How many churches destroyed by pride? How many personal lives, just individual lives destroyed by pride? It's what James is writing about. Hey, you got to remember where destruction comes from. It comes from pride. Proverbs 29, 23, a man's pride shall bring him low. Proverbs 13, 10, only by pride cometh contention. Pride ends in disaster. Secondly, pride hinders our prayer. Pride hinders our prayer. Notice verse two and three. James writes this, he writes this, ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your own lusts. You know, he's wanting them and us to see is the desire to please self and our pride. It stops us from asking and receiving like God desires. What's some things that pride hinders in our prayer? I notice, first of all, that pride from these verses, it prevents us, our pride prevents us from going to God. You have not because you ask not. James is saying, hey, sometimes we, you can be focused on, on what you want and you leave God out of the equation. You have not because you haven't even asked. One man said a quote, something like this, that when we get to heaven, we will all be surprised to see the number of unopened blessings that God had waiting for us if we only would have asked. And pride prevents us from going to God. I've used the illustration often, but years ago, I was at lunch with an elected official, and um, we were sitting and talking, and I asked him, I pray for you. And he said, oh, don't bother God with my prayer. Don't bother God with praying for my life. I've got it. I can handle it. And I, I just looked at it. I was very surprised by that. And I said, no, we, we all need prayer. He said, no, 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 no. He's got too much to deal with. He, I, I can handle my own life. You know what? We, we would look at someone like that, and, and man, uh, those of us who've known the Lord for a while would say, oh, how sad. Oh, how heartbreaking. But how many times have you and I said, well, I've got this situation. Well, I, I've got this. And maybe we don't say it verbally. Maybe we don't even say it uh, internally, but we live it out because we leave God out. Of, we, leave God, uh, we leave prayer out of our life. We leave God out of our life. So prayer, it hinder, uh, pride, it hinders our prayer by preventing us from going to God. But secondly, it hinders our prayer because pride can be the very reason, listen, pride can be the very reason for our prayers. You say, what do you mean by that? Look at verse number three. You ask and receive not. Well, why? Because you ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your own lusts. 
Often, <clears throat> even our prayers can be rooted in pride. And even though we may be praying for good things, our, our motive can be pride. Think about this. Getting a raise isn't a bad thing. Maybe making a purchase isn't a bad thing. Receiving healing from a, a sickness, that, that's not a bad thing. But sometimes we pray those things driven by the motive of pride. Think about it with Easter in mind. And this is where my mind really began to focus in upon this passage in my personal time with the Lord over the last week or so. <clears throat> with Easter, I said it a moment ago, we, we admit that we want to see God work and see people saved and, and we want to see our church grow and we want to see lives affected and, and we want ourselves to benefit from Easter and be encouraged and strengthened. But if we're not careful, we could pray, God, help so-and-so to come and get saved. Someone we've been, help, help them to come and get saved. And, and that's a good thing. But we may be praying it because the is because then I could tell somebody else, hey, look, I prayed, and so-and-so came and got saved. Hey, God, fill our church up on Easter Sunday. And that's a good thing. But we could pray it. We, we might be praying it because the motive of pride says, because if you fill our church up, then that'll give me something to talk to so-and-so about. And we, we, can, we, we have something that we're praying that we can consume it upon our own desires. Now, again, I want us to understand this tonight, that if we're not careful, we could pray that God would do things because it would, make, because it would benefit us individually. Does that make sense? And I think all too often we approach God for the good things, but we approach him in the wrong way. Think about, <clears throat> I I'm, wrote down some, some thoughts on this. I mean, our building fund. And these are two things I've just been looking at for this last week, thinking, God, help me not to pray in pride for something that I think would be good. I think with our building fund, man, I'm praying and asking God to do something great, but I hope it's never from the motive of because I want our church to look good. Now, do we want our church to look good? Yes, that's a good thing. That's just gonna reflect on God, but I hope that it's because it's going to reflect on God. Mike, I have you guys written down on my notes. Mike and Rebecca, they could pray. God, do something great at Ridgepoint, but it could be based upon the desire that people would look at them and say, wow, they are premier church planners. And I'm being genuine with that tonight. It could be that we pray, God, help things to go well at Ridgepoint so that when Micah and I go to the next big preacher's meeting, that people say, wow, you guys are doing something great. Does that make sense? But think about it in your personal life. Sometimes in our own personal life, uh, we can pray, God, help this. And it's a good prayer request, but the motive at the root of the prayer is because that would really benefit me. God, that would really bless me. This is what James is writing to them about. Now think and remember, we'll, we'll tie it all together in just a minute. He's bringing this to the context of believers who have been persecuted for a while, and he wants them to understand, hey, pride, it, it ends in disaster, 
Pride hinders your prayer, but then also, very quickly, pride separates us from God. Notice the verse. We, we like to quote the verse, but in context, what's it saying? Ye adulteresses and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. What's he been talking about? Pride. Been talking about the lust of our heart. You know what he likens that to? It's very interesting. He says, when it boils down to it, pride is like the sin of adultery. You're partnering yourself with the thinking of the world, with the thinking of culture. He says, you are committing spiritual adultery when you allow your pride, the mindset of the world, to be your friend and to guide you. That friendship with the world, it's it's enmity with God. This goes right along with Scripture. We know, and we see this in just a minute, that God resisteth the proud. The word resisteth literally means to stiff arm, to push away. Proverbs 16, 5, everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord, though hand join in hand, he shall not be unpunished. Proverbs eleven two. When pride cometh, then cometh shame. And I just want us to understand tonight that pride it it ends in disaster. Pride hinders our prayer life, but pride also separates us from it. It just separates us from God. It doesn't break the relationship. It just distances us. Distances is that right? Distances. Puts a great gulf between us and the Lord. <laughs> and pride, God says, I, I stiff arm that. And I, I don't know about you, but this is, I, I'm studying it and going through it even tonight, man. This is convicting. Why? Because in our life, we allow pride to slip in too many times. No wonder, he said, you don't have it because you don't ask for it. But sometimes you don't ask for it because or you don't have it because you ask for it for you. That's, that's convicting tonight. That's pride in our relationship. Let's notice secondly and quickly tonight, humility in our relationship. What does humility then do? And this is the contrast. Paul or James writes about pride in the first uh, four verses. Really, the first five verses, I kind of skip verse five. Do you think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? What he's talking about there, the spirit that dwelleth in us is the flesh. It's not the Holy Spirit. There's not a capital S there. But the spirit that dwells within man, the flesh of man, lusteth to envy. There's just a, a wicked desire within you. He says, don't you know that the scripture doesn't say in vain that this flesh wants life to be about this flesh? And then he says, verse number six, and this is where we'll look at these thoughts about humility. First of all, he says that grace is given to the humble. Grace is given to the humble. And I want you to notice the opposing thoughts with pride and humility. Grace is given to the humble. Verse number six, but he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God, now here's the context of some of the the passage, God resisteth the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is like James saying, hey, this is everything I'm getting to God resists pride, but he gives grace to the humble. The word grace, uh, we often would think of unmerited favor. And while that is implied here, I believe we need to understand that different definition of grace that we refer to often, which is God's enabling strength. 
So God says, hey, I resist the proud, but I offer enabling strength to the humble. Think about this. These Hebrews, they were under a great persecution and all those that um, we mentioned above who were persecuting them. These believers could have reacted in pride and said, we don't deserve, I don't, uh, God, I, God do this because... And here James writes to them and says, hey, you want strength for what you're going through? Humble your heart. Hey, believers being persecuted, you want strength for what you're going through? Just be humble before God. You ever been around, been around and we, we, I know you have if you've been at our church for a length of time because we have a number of them in our church. Believers who have been through horrendous trials. And yet they walk through it with the greatest of strength. And that's, a, that's to me, it's, it's almost spiritually mesmerizing. I'm just like, man, like how are you going through this with so much strength? You know what that is? That's just God fulfilling a promise. I give grace to those who recognize their need for me. Man, God, grace is given to the humble. Peter said it this way, be clothed with humility because God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Secondly, victory is given to the humble. Verse seven, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. The word submit, it has to do with humility. Hey, bring yourself under God, submit yourself to God as you resist the devil. And what's gonna happen? Man, the devil's going to flee, but it's not gonna flee because I simply resist it. The devil's not going to flee just because I resisted. No, the devil's going to flee because I realized my strength in resisting is from God alone. Thirdly, in this thought, we'll get it quickly tonight, closeness is given to the humble. Verse number eight, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. <clears throat> when you look at verse number seven, that word resist means to stiff arm. But verse number eight, the phrase draw nigh, it means to bring near or to embrace. Isn't that an interesting thought? Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Draw nigh to you. I think the, within the context of the entire book, I think we could say it this way. You bring yourself near to God and God will embrace you. As I, as I draw near to God, as I experience more closeness with God, God says, I will draw you in. If I were to do the illustration, bring Hannah up here, uh, my wife. And you know what? I could, I could kind of put my arm around her. But as soon as I did that, you know what she's probably going to do? She's probably going to lean into me. This is, what, this is what James is writing. Hey, just keep your heart humble before him. Get close to him and watch him embrace you. This thought, closeness is given to the humble. I gotta hurry tonight. The last thing is this, honor is given to the humble. Verse nine and 10, be afflicted and, be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. All of this, and we don't have the time to do it, but all of this is on the idea of verse 10, humbling yourself in the sight of God. As you do that, what's he gonna do? 
He's going to lift you up. The word lift up, the phrase lift up there, it means to exalt or to honor. Solomon said it this way in Proverbs, a man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 23, whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. See, when you and I walk humbly before God, he lifts us up. But don't look for that lifting up. That's pride. We just keep our heart humble before him, and he says, I will honor that. I honor humility. Now, here's where I want to end with this tonight, and then we're going to pray, spend some time praying together. But the thought is this, that pride always loses. Pride always loses. Humility always walks away with the victory. And tonight, when there's pride in our relationship, the Lord says, I'm going to distance myself from that. But when there's humility, the Lord is receptive and the Lord is close. Now, this does not mean, and I want to be clear tonight, this doesn't mean that things automatically go our way and the way that we pray when we have humility. But God does promise, he does promise grace, he does promise help, he does promise that honor, the victory, the things that we looked at, he promised those, promises those when we walk in humility. And sometimes those promises will be fulfilled in a different way than we expect. But God says humility will always win. And so tonight I want to say this, if pride hurts our relationship with the Lord and humility helps it, I want us to choose to seek the Lord through a humble heart. God, I don't want to have the approach that says, I deserve it. I don't want to have the approach that says, God, look at me and do this for me. I want to have the approach to God in every area of my life, whether it be for an Easter Sunday for a building fund, for a person trusting Christ as Savior, for whatever it is, I want to be able to say, God, I want to come before you and ask you for your will in this. Here's my request, but God, behind it all, I just want you to be glorified. God, behind it all, I just want you to be honored. God, if it doesn't go that way, if it doesn't go how I'm requesting, it's okay because it's not about me. God, it's all about you. And this is something I want to encourage us with, to seek the Lord with a humble heart, not having that spirit that says, I deserve it, but having the spirit that says, God, I humble myself before you. You deserve it. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.